Good morning. It's all right. It's good to be in here with you today. I've got a, a question that I'd like to ask you uh, this morning, and it's uh, who's ever read or watched the story of Snow White? Anybody know what I'm talking about? For those dudes in here who want to pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the one with the evil queen, and she doesn't like it if anybody else is as pretty or prettier than her. And she had this kind of magic mirror that she had on the wall, and she would say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the? All right, so you all all got me. She had the the sin of envy. She didn't want anyone to be as pretty or prettier than her. And uh, just curious, when you were a kid watching this, or if you were watching this with a kid, who in here rooted for the evil queen? Okay, nobody. How about the story of Cinderella? Did anybody root for the cruel stepmother or the mean stepsisters? No way. I mean, we automatically get that they're wrong and they're evil and they were bad. And even when we were kids, we didn't need someone to tell us that their envy was wrong. We just got it. It's like no one, we didn't even need to be taught. We just knew. Envy is ugly and destructive. It really is a deadly sin. Now, one of the tricky things about envy is that sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to define define because there are streams of jealousy and pride and anger that flow in and out of this thing called envy that can live inside of us. But envy really is something distinct. And it's a sin that pops up over and over again throughout the Bible. And what the Bible means by envy and what we mean by envy this morning is this. Envy is when I believe I should have it better and someone else should have it worse. When I believe I should have it better and someone else should have it worse, it's really rooted in a sense of injustice. A person who is an envier is wounded by the success and the happiness of someone else. The sinister nature of envy isn't so much that it is saddened by our own misfortune, but that it loathes and is angry at the happiness and the success of someone else. And we all just kind of automatically get that it's ugly and it's bad and it's no good. But one another tricky thing about envy is that it's easy to spot in somebody else. Like, I, that guy's envy. That guy's envious. It's clear to see. But it's hard to see in ourselves. Envy is kind of like Bigfoot. We're open to the possibility that it lurks in there somewhere, but we just haven't seen it yet. And we don't feel the need to go looking for it. You know, when it comes to envy, could it be inside of me? Yeah, maybe, but I haven't seen any obvious signs, so I I don't think so. I doubt it. And, uh, you know, it's easy to spot in someone else. It's hard to see in ourselves. And one of the reasons it's so hard to admit our own envy is because if we admit that we're envious, we have to admit why we're envious. And that causes us to take a wide-eyed look at our own insecurities and our actual and our perceived areas of deficiency. And that can be painful and that can hurt, and we don't like that. And people who know that they are envious, they typically don't like that about themselves. Try saying to a friend sometime, I think you're envious. See, see how they respond. Very few, very few will be able to quickly admit it and then repent of it. Most people will excuse it away as something else. I promise you, if you say to a friend, I think you're envious, they are not going to say, yeah, I love that about me. It, <laughs> That's just, that's just not how we're wired. We get it that it's wrong. We get that it's bad, but we have a tendency to hide it and cover it up. Or we all have the capacity to mask our unacceptable envy in acceptable terms. We'll say things like, I'm just competitive, or I'm just looking for what's fair. And we don't like to own up to what it really is. And so this morning, I put together a few questions that will help diagnose how well we are or are not doing with this thing called 
envy. And if you happen to answer yes to any of these questions I'm about to ask you, there is a chance that you could have a touch of envy. And if any of these questions happen to hit a little too close to home, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to check each other's scores, but just know if you came with someone today, they're probably keeping score for you in their head too. (laughs) All right, so here are my questions to kind of diagnose how we're doing with envy. Number one, have you ever felt better about your lack of success with something because at least so-and-so was unsuccessful too? Have you ever enjoyed finding a flaw in someone who rivaled you in ability or attractiveness? Have you ever felt grumpy or angry after discovering someone else's acquisition or their gift or their skill? Has there ever been part of you that was a little glad that a leader from an opposing political party had a public failure? Have you ever felt compelled to infuse compliments with criticism? Something along the lines of, sure, they have a nice house, if you don't mind living in that neighborhood. (laughs) Have you ever felt like your life didn't measure up to someone else's whose character didn't measure up to yours? I suppose it'd be a little unfair for me to ask you to be vulnerable with your envy if I'm not willing to be at least a little vulnerable with my own envy. But unfortunately, I just couldn't come up with any examples. Um. That's not true. The, the, the reality is, is I, I have an embarrassing number of examples. But as I think about sin of envy in my own life, there's something that really just kind of shot up in front of my attention as I was thinking about this. And it happened about six years ago. I had just come on staff at Twin Cities Church. I was a student ministry intern, and I was excited about the opportunity to get to work here. And it's been awesome being a part of the staff here, and I absolutely love it. My first summer here working with Mark Hadley in student ministry, we took a bunch of junior high students to camp. And the purpose was to help kids, young teens, discover a life with Jesus Christ. But I ended up discovering my own envy. You see, that year, the, uh, the camp speaker, the camp we went to, he was a guy who was, who was younger than me, and, and um, I thought that I was a much better communicator than him, and ironically, I ended up being put off by his pride and ego. Um, <laughs> so here's this guy. He's younger than me. He's single. He, I could tell he makes more money than me. He already owns his own house, And my wife and I, we had moved here from the New Orleans area. We were refugees from Hurricane Katrina, and she's pregnant. We have a little girl, and it's me, and we're living with her parents as we're trying to get on our feet and make our way through Nevada County. As I compared my feelings of success to this guy's feelings of success, I began to get a little envious, and I was mad. God, why did you give so much stuff and so much envy, so much influence to this guy? Shouldn't I have it better and this guy have it worse? The sad irony is that I was there to lead young teenagers to trust their life with Christ, and I was frustrated with God over what was going on in my own. That leads us to our next statement, which is hard, but it's true. When we sin, we're not just breaking the rules. We're picking teams. When we sin, we're not just breaking rules. We're picking teams. I want you to look at something that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said this, the thief's purpose, and the thief here is Satan. 
The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And Jesus is saying, listen, I came that whoever would trust in me would have a rich and satisfying life, a life free from the tyranny of sin and a life full of joy. That's what I'm about. But when we drink the poison of envy, we align ourselves with the captain of the other team because envy pushes us to rob and to steal and want to take and destroy. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm just tired of playing for that team. When we sin, we're not just breaking the rules. We're picking teams. As I was thinking about envy this week, there are so many different things that I wanted to share with you, but there are at least two things that keep popping up over and over in my mind, and the first one is this. Envy kills relationships. Envy kills relationships. Has there ever been a time that you had really good news, like you got a new car or a raise or promotion or something very exciting, and you wanted to share with a friend, but deep down you knew it was just hard for them to hear? Or maybe a friend had really exciting news that they wanted to share with you, but deep down it was just hard for you to hear. And even though you hated it about yourself, you found yourself thinking, why not me? Don't I deserve that as much as them? Don't I deserve that more than them? Why don't I have it better and other people have it worse? No relationship, no friendship can survive the presence of envy. It kills all relationships because instead of us being for one another and caring for one another, we find ourselves pitted against one another and becoming competitors. Envy kills relationships. And another thing about envy is this. Envy is the enemy of grace. Envy is the enemy of grace of grace. The original conspirators, the guys who plotted and lusted after Jesus's death, who wanted to get him arrested and send him to the cross, they did what they did because of envy. And Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, it says this, that Pilate knew that they had arrested him and handed him over out of envy. Envy says we should have it better and someone else should have it worse. And their desire to take life from him drove them to cheer for the cross. But Jesus' desire to bring life to them and to bring life to us drove him to endure the cross. This thing called envy is rooted in an anger-soaked sense of injustice. And we, we think that other people are getting it better than us. And we say we just want what's fair. We say we want justice. But really, we're not focused on justice. We're focused on just us. And we say, they don't deserve that. I deserve that. Well, let me ask you a question. What if they just don't deserve it? What if God is just being gracious and generous with them? Do we really want God just to be gracious and generous with us? Or would we prefer for God just to start acting fairly? I don't know about you, but I don't want what I really deserve from God. I'm a big fan of this thing called grace. Envy says, God should be harsh with others, but generous with me. And it forgets that it is his loving kindness that draws us to him. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do is we're thinking about this thing called envy, to look at uh, one of the Psalms, it's Psalm 73, and, and to look at something in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul says, and the writer of the Psalm and the Apostle Paul, these are two guys, they intersected with envy and they intersected with the opportunity to, um, to embrace the temptation of envy, and they have some amazing things to say to us. So we want to start off, we're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm chapter 73. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along. Verses one through three say this, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. 
My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. And if you would give me the liberty, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, even though it's not on the screen. He goes on to say, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have trouble like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace, and they clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life with ease while all their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why do the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. I am uh, I'm so thankful for how raw and vulnerable the writer of this psalm is willing to be. Honestly says out loud and writes down that internal dialogue that we all have. And he starts off, man, I almost messed up. I was going to blow it big time. I almost really went wrong with God. I was stuck in envy. I can almost hear him praying. Could you imagine praying something like that? God, what is going on? These people have everything they want. It is not fair. Nothing bad ever happens to them. I have problems. Other good people like me have problems, but not these guys. And you know what's worse, God? They are talking bad about you. They are running you down, and they are insulting you. And because you let them have it so good, people are starting to listen. God, people are leaving your team to join them. You are messing up. (laughs) You are not being fair, and I am trying to figure this out, and it is driving me crazy. He went on to say, but you know, if I would have said it out loud, I would have been seen as a traitor. Have you ever felt that way? that you were just frustrated. It's like God got distracted and all of a sudden your world went chaotic and you know you find yourself in community group and you're at church and someone says, hey, how you're doing? How, how are you doing? And you give the obligatory, I'm fine, I'm good, but really you just want to take off the mask and you want to unload your frustration. Why don't I have it better and they have it worse? But you don't do that because you're supposed to look good at church and we don't, we don't say that. Instead, we have these kind of secret dialogues in our head we don't, we're not brave enough to put them in the form of a prayer, but we kind of hope that God overhears and feels bad about what he's been doing and he kind of fixes stuff. We say things like, I'm a good person. I give to my church. I serve. I support an orphan from Uganda. I don't cheat on my taxes. But my neighbor, he doesn't do any of these things. He plays golf instead of playing with his kids. And when his wife's not around, he flirts with other women. He'll say or do anything he has to to get a raise or promotion or to close a deal. God, aren't I better than him? Don't I deserve to have it better than him? And doesn't he deserve to have it worse? Or it could sound something like, God, why did you let her be so pretty on the outside when she's so ugly on the inside? Don't I deserve to have somebody who cares for me better than what she has? God, don't you remember all those times that I gave and I shared? You know, God, I would have so many more nice things if I wasn't so generous. Aren't I better than her? Don't I deserve to have it better and she deserves to have it worse? And before you know it, we slip into thinking, my life would have been better off had I had never trusted God and followed his way in the first place. Our envy is unredeemable, but by God's grace, we are not unredeemable. 
So how do we handle this thing called envy and how do we break free from it? The first thing we got to do is this. We're going to follow the example of this guy in Psalm 73. We're going to surrender our expectations to God. We're going to surrender our expectations to God. I'm going to look in verse, start in verse 17. He says, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. This guy, the writer of Psalm 73, he had this expectation that people who were bad were going to have it worse. He wanted God to whack them right now. God, they're doing wrong. Send some bad stuff on their life. The problem with envy is when, you, when you're envying, you can't see things as, as they really are. And so he went to the sanctuary. He went to the place to worship and hear from God. And God began to change his perspective and help him to see things as they really were. He was in a place where he felt like he had been lied to. Like, maybe there's nothing wrong with going your own way and rejecting God. And he needed to be reminded and to see again. That for a while, sin can be fun, and it can be prosperous, and it can even be easy for a while, but it always ends in hurt and death, even if you can't see it right now. Recently, I had a conversation with a high school student, and he said, Rick, I feel like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, and I'm ready to walk away from my faith altogether. And I so appreciated his honesty and his vulnerability. And the reason he said that was because he felt like he was the only kid at his school trying to do the Jesus thing. And he felt like everyone else was totally ignoring God and doing whatever they wanted. It seemed to be working out for them, but he was trying to follow Jesus, and it was so hard, and he was wondering if it was worth it anymore. Would he be better off? had he never chosen to follow Jesus in the first place. And sometimes those feelings can be so strong and they can feel so real. But the reason that those feelings really are silly and the reason that those feelings really are ultimately laughable in the face of God is because God is real and the consequences for ignoring him and rejecting his way are just as real. They're just as real. One of the things that I love about God is that God is generous with his time and he's generous with the opportunities for us to turn away from other stuff and to return from him, to return to him and to discover that it's his loving kindness that draws us to him. And so if you're here this morning and you're finding yourself thinking, I really think somebody else should have it worse, just surrender that expectation to God. Surrender it to him. When, I were ki- when we were kids, my brother and I, we got bunk beds one year. Anybody here? Big fan of bunk beds. They're pretty sweet. They make great forts. Um, I remember one night early on, my little brother was sleeping on the top bunk and he rolled off the top and hit the floor. That's really sad, but it was awesome. And so my parents got this guardrail thing that they could put up on the bed to keep us from, from rolling, rolling off the bed. And the thing about guardrails are this. Guardrails don't put you where you're supposed to be, but they can help you stay where you're supposed to be. And as you're trying to follow God with this thing called envy and surrendering these expectations to him, I want to give you a couple of guardrails. And the first guardrail is this, stop comparing. Make the decision, I'm going to stop comparing my life with their life. I'm on a plan, I'm on the path that God has taken me, and I'm not comparing anymore because that just sows the seeds of envy and it's no good. I want us to flip over real fast and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at the story of Paul. Paul, in a very vulnerable moment, he was probably expecting things to go differently. He says this, So to keep me from becoming proud, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Where the writer of the Psalms was, ex- was expecting other people to have it worse, you got Paul here, he's expecting that he was going to have it better. And we have, to, we have to give it to Paul. He didn't give God a resume of his achievements and his virtues. He just, he didn't whine. He did beg. He was like, God, I expected to have it better. God, this is really hard. Will you please take this away? And God says, no. It took him a while to get it, but eventually he got it. And he was able to surrender that expectation to Jesus in prayer. He was able to surrender that. And maybe like Paul, some of us carry some expectations too, the ways we thought things were going to be. We didn't think following Jesus was the same as punching a lottery ticket, but we did think he was going to endorse some of our plans. He just hasn't yet. You know, sometimes his plans and his purposes are different from ours, and they're always better than ours. And as hard as it is to admit, a lot of our plans and our desires end in our glory, but God's plans have a way of ending in his glory. And so the second guardrail, the thing that I look at the example of Paul is this, stop complaining. God, you have a plan and it is good. And even though it's hard, it's better than what I would have chosen myself. And I am not going to complain. So the first thing is to surrender my expectations to God. And moving back to Psalm 73, the second thing we want to do is we want to admit the sin and celebrate grace. Admit your sin and celebrate grace. Starting in verse 21 of Psalm 73, it says this, Then I realized my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom do I have in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. As the writer of this psalm, as he was reflecting on what happens to people who reject God's way, and uh, God was giving them the gift of all of this clarity, all of a sudden he had this OMG moment. And for you non-texters, that's oh my gosh. And he was like, wait a second, all of this stuff that I was writing about people who reject God's way, I deserve that. I'm guilty of that. I had the sin of envy. I was torn up inside. I'm a hypocrite. And one of the things that I absolutely love about this chapter is that he doesn't affirm his hold on God. He affirms God's hold on him. In verse 23, it says, Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. God, you have me and you are with me. I don't deserve that. That's grace. You are still here and you're showing me which way to go and you're not letting me go. I don't deserve that. That's grace. It is your loving kindness that draws me to return to you. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling a little pinched and you're having that internal dialogue in your head and you're trying to convince yourself that it's not really envy is the thing that you're struggling with, I just want to encourage you in the most friendly and loving way that I know how. Just admit it to God and celebrate grace because it is by grace through faith in Christ that we are transformed and set free And he wants to take it and just let it go. So the first thing we want to do is we want to surrender our expectations to God. The second thing we want to do is to admit our sin and celebrate grace. And going back to to the writings of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, we want to cling to God and celebrate his plan. Cling to God and celebrate 
his plan. Paul goes on to say, So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And some of us look at this passage we're like, there's no way I could ever have that attitude. There's no way that I could be like that. Paul must be special. It must be some super Christian. But the reason that Paul was able to write this and say this authentically wasn't because he was super tough and super holy. It was because Paul was with Jesus and Paul pursued a relationship with Jesus and Paul was close to Jesus. And Paul wasn't trying to be good for Jesus. He was trying to be with him and join him on mission. And we all carry with us this temptation to try to apply the principles of Christianity without first pursuing the person, Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul was able to apply this and obey this thing about Jesus is because Paul had spent so much time with him. And Paul was able to cling to God and celebrate his plan because Paul knew that God was going to use all of it, the good stuff and the bad stuff and everything in between for his glory and for our good. And Paul remembered, you know what? Jesus suffered for me and Jesus suffered for all of us. Jesus had it worse so that we could have it better. That's what the cross is all about. And so Paul was able to cling to God and celebrate his plan because he knew that it was for his glory and for our good. Last weekend, I got to participate in a fun event called the Tough Mudder. It's, you're running through trails in the mountains at Squaw Valley, and there's all kinds of obstacles along the way. This is one of the obstacles here. And as you can see, it's this curved wall. It's hard to get up. No one person could get up by yourself. It took people laying down on the ground, holding you up, people up top reaching down, grabbing you, and pulling you up. It was exciting. It was a lot of fun to be a part of. There were some people, though, it was a little bit harder for them to get up than others. Some people are just a little bit more robust than others, and it was just difficult task. And um, I'm standing there in a crowd of about 200 people waiting for us to get up. And whenever somebody was struggling and you could see on their face that they're about to let go and they thought that they couldn't do it anymore, there was this bass roar that would swell up from the crowd and people were cheering and they would cheer louder and louder and louder until you could tell that the person was going to persevere and they're going to keep going and they would reach up and they'd get pulled up and they'd make it to the top. And then it was deafening. People were so excited to see other people make it to the top. It was awesome. And it gave me goosebumps. It moved me so much that I almost started crying, but I was at something called the Tough Mudder, so I had to dial back those tears. <laughs> As I'm standing there, and I'm experiencing this moment, I thought, this is what the Christian life is supposed to be. This is the way the church is supposed to be. And for the rest of my life, that moment will serve as a filter through which I read this next verse that I want to share with you. Romans 12, 15. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Enviers cannot do this. Enviers weep when others are happy and they are happy when others weep. If you're like me and you sense that there's a touch of envy inside of you, will you join me in surrendering our expectations to God, admitting that sin and celebrating His grace and his plan. The bottom line this morning is this. I know I'm cured of envy when I'm willing to have it worse so that others can have it better. Envy says I should have it better and others should have it worse, but I know I'm cured of envy when, when I'm willing to have it worse so that others could have it better. If your spouse believed that that was your attitude, what might be different in your marriage? 
if your neighbors, if your friends believed that was true about you, what might be different in those relationships? What would be different in those contentious office relationships if people looked at you and said, there's a person who's willing to have it worse so that I could have it better? You know, Jesus had it worse so that we could have it better. And he's inviting us on an adventure with him that leads us away from our normal expectations and leads us to a place where we can enjoy and share extraordinary grace. We pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what your word has to say. And God, that you don't want to burden us down, but God, you want to... You want to take this burden away from us, and God, you want it to be lifted, and you want us to be free from the burden of envy. God, I pray that you will help us to trust you in this process and that we can become more like you along the way. In your son's name we pray, amen.